This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The rise and steep fall of Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes is explored in the new Hulu limited series, The Dropout, starting March 3rd. Amanda Seyfried plays the ambitious visionary. We're here on Crew Call today with the creators of the series, Liz Merriweather and Rebecca Jarvis, whose ABC podcast the series is based on. I am obsessed with Elizabeth Holmes. There is not a piece of, I mean, every single piece of documented or fictionalized, meaning I've watched at least five episodes of The Dropout already. and I, there won't be spoilers, don't worry. But I mean, I devour everything. But my question to both of you, why does she bewitch both of you? Um, Rebecca? <laughs> um, well, it's not just us, I think. I think it's the world and everybody who spends time with this person who, spends time researching and devouring the material. Um, and I'm curious, Anthony, if you have a view on this, but I think everybody walks away still sort of thinking this woman is an enigma. And as a journalist, I'm oftentimes, I, I, it's introspective for me. What is it about this story that drew me to it? It was her, it was the stakes, the fact that everybody has to rely on medical information and what happens when you can't. And it was the ecosystem, Silicon Valley, the media, how she became so powerful for a moment in time and was this outlier that so many people spent time and energy paying attention to and raised all of this money and surrounded herself with incredibly powerful people. I don't want her to fail. When I first, I came to the whole story late, I will confess, learning about her and Theranos, and I kept thinking to myself, maybe she was set up. Maybe it was Quest that did it, but alas, no. And the other fascinating thing is that she's a female trailblazer, you know, in Silicon Valley, which leads me to ask, given, given her, her, her failure here, do you think that she's just made it harder for the next trailblazer in Silicon Valley or no, absolutely not? I mean, I think there there was actually a really uh, great New York Times article about um, her legacy uh, on female founders uh, in Silicon Valley, and and you know that there was an anecdote in that article that one female founder was told to dye her hair so she wouldn't look like Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> um, so I mean, I think that yeah, I mean, I think that that the the sort of specter of Theranos is still really um doing damage to female founders in silicon valley but i you know obviously um rebecca would probably know more about that than me but (laughs) no i mean i I think liz points out a really important uh, perspective and 
from talking to Phyllis Gardner, the Stanford professor who Elizabeth Holmes originally went to with this idea when she was a student, um, this was one of the concerns that Phyllis Gardner put out there. This is, Gardner is a woman who has spent her entire life dedicated to science and medicine and fought very hard to be taken seriously in that field, even though there should have been no reason to, for her to have to fight. And to see so many young women initially look up to Elizabeth Holmes and then to see the downfall, it's, you don't want to see women be set back and people, there is such a thing as conditioning and it's, it is a, it's something that other women are talking about, founders are talking about, that it just makes things harder. And I think one other point, Anthony, that you made up top, which I think is really key here, she had this audacious goal that was supposed to change the world for the better. And I think as a journalist, it is a reminder that even people who set out to supposedly do great things for the world still need to be asked really difficult questions. What, you know, it's interesting in the 2020, and, and this is for the listeners who may not have watched it, in the 2020 piece, um, The Dropout, my question to both of you is what drove her? Why did she go so far to lie? And it's interesting. I think the answer, one of the answers for me was in that 2020 piece, Rebecca. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm hinting toward her family heritage. Well, and I think that's something that Liz really was, she came to this project in many ways with, I would say, a journalist sensibility, the curiosity of, and trying to answer that specific question was, was um, I'm speaking for you, Liz, but my interpretation of the work that you were doing was that you really wanted to dig into that. And that was also something that we as a team dug into, the fact that Elizabeth's family was the Fleischmann yeast empire, and it was sort of this paradise lost. And, and a lot of the people that we spoke to who were early on part of the Holmes family, uh, their family friends talked about this. And, um, and, and, and so, and, and her father working at Enron, for example, all of those things, they, they might have contributed to this. And I think what I love about what Liz does with the project is that you really, you, you get to see that play out. And anytime you want to speak for me, Rebecca, you're um, more than welcome. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think that that was what drew me to the podcast so much is because I had, you know, also consumed a lot of uh, articles and books and documentaries and everything about the story. And I thought what the podcast did and beautifully was start to open the door to that question of, you know, what shaped her, what motivated her, what, what was the story actually like on a human level from her point of view, you know, and, and what was that, you know, what, what was the full picture of that story? Um, and I thought the, you know, that the anecdote in the podcast about at the end of the podcast about the 11 year old Elizabeth Holmes running on the track and she's running and every other runner has stopped running, but she won't quit. She won't stop. And, you know, the coach is yelling for her to stop. And, um, so, I mean, that, that really stuck with me and it, it just drew me even deeper into the story because I felt like trying to figure out what, motivated Elizabeth Holmes was a part of the story that hadn't yet been explored and I wanted to explore it. 
Tell me, uh, if both of you could tell me how, how this all came to be. Rebecca, you have the podcast. We're, 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 you know, film and TV companies immediately circling it. And then Liz, how did you, how did you board? Um, so yes, on, uh, I got a lot of emails after the first couple of episodes came out, which was a complete shock to me. I also, so the first, the first season of the dropout, um, I was nine months pregnant in the like final days of putting out the, the final episodes. Um, and so I was, I was getting these emails as I was simultaneously trying to finish the podcast, but also hoping that my daughter didn't come ahead of time because I, I, I really had no idea how it was all going to happen. Like I literally just, <laughs> I was giving birth to my first child, which was the podcast. And then my second child, which was my <laughs> daughter. And I just hoped it came in that order. Um, so yes, uh, we heard a lot. And then it was um, very kind of quickly realized. And I'm, I'm, to be honest, I was sort of in new mother bliss and, and, and lack of sleep land when it fully came together. But from the very first conversation that I had with Liz um, and the Searchlight team, I was, again, that she, she brought this journalistic instinct to it, the curiosity, the questions, and also in my opinion, and again, this is my opinion, a desire to learn, but to give the audience as much facts as we could possibly uncover, but let the audience make decisions for themselves, to trust that the audience was smart enough to make decisions for themselves. Yeah, I mean, that was really, that was really important to me going into it was just kind of not, I didn't, I, I don't see my role as, you know, the person who's going to judge her. I didn't want to go into it with an agenda because I, I think that that makes for kind of boring storytelling, honestly. Like I think, you know, I think it, it's much more interesting to sort of try to keep the audience on their toes and, and try to never let the audience off the hook and sort of, you know, really kind of try to show all the complexities and what, what is kind of great about this story um, from a storytelling perspective is that there are there's so many layers it, it takes place over 12 years I mean the the cast of characters that comes yeah. in and out of this story is really oh, you know, mind-blowing yeah I mean and um, so I, I, I just wanted to to really show the scope of it and and try to you know try to uh, make sure people felt like they had a sense of the whole picture. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I got involved, uh, Searchlight had asked me to come in and meet on the project. And like initially I was like, had been really interested in the story, but I also was wondering why do we need a limited series? There's been, you know, <laughs> documentary, there's been books and reporting in this podcast. And I listened to the podcast and was, like I said, really taken by what Rebecca was doing, which was, you know, asking, I thought a little bit deeper questions about who Elizabeth Holmes is. And, um, and then actually in the meeting, I found myself getting more and more kind of worked up. I like I just, I felt I was, as I was talking about the story, I, I, you know, felt really drawn in and I was I was like wow I really want this job <laughs> and it was like um I I just I think there's something about the story that just really gets under my skin I you know I I started at New Girl when I was 29 and 
I had no experience in television and I was definitely in over my head. And so I, th there was something about the experience of a young woman in power that I felt, you know, hadn't been told in a, in a, in a real way. I, I felt, I, I feel like there's, there, you know, I've been a lot of sort of like girl boss, glossy, um, <sighs> I don't know, like commercial feminism versions. Of, I know um, those Netflix series. Yeah. <laughs> no, no comment. But I, yeah, I mean, I just, I felt like that version of the story had been told a lot. Whereas like the darker kind of harder questions about being a young woman in a position of power hadn't really been asked. And just, you know, that it's not just about getting in the door. It's about what you do when you're through the door and how power changes you and what the responsibility of power is. And so I, 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 yeah, so I found myself just like more and more drawn into the story and then was just having the resource of Rebecca and Victoria and Taylor who produced the podcast with her. It was, it was incredible. And to like, I flew to New York and sat with them in a hotel room for like a full day <laughs> just tried to absorb like all of the you know all of their years of reporting um which is which was exciting for me another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Did Elizabeth ever try when she first heard of the Hulu project? Did she try to cease and desist it? Or no, there's no way. No, we, yeah, we, we never, we didn't hear from her and we also didn't reach out to her. So. And she um, always declined interviews with ABC news over the years. She did even from the beginning. Yep. Wow. Wow. Because one of my questions was going to be. Or didn't respond either, either declined or didn't respond to our requests. You know, there's all this footage of her in the Alex Gibney doc. Like it almost feels like he was there. And I kept, I don't know the answer to this. And I kept wondering, did she give him complete access at one point? Or is this just internal footage that they did? She was so obsessed with her own image that they had company footage. Did, did you ever, were you ever privy to, to any of that? How she gave access and did The not? only thing I can speak to is that she was, at a time pitched to networks. Um, my understanding of some of those pitches is that there were strings attached and ABC News would never as a news organization agree to a, an interview, nor would I, that basically wasn't completely open that, that, that said, you, you can't delve into this area. You can't ask a question about this. I would never agree to that. Understood. I visited, uh, I did visit on a handful of, of, uh, occasions. I did visit her headquarters, um, and what was inside of her building once, but didn't make it past the lobby. And, um, on a couple of other occasions was kicked off of the campus. I was going to ask, did you get into the <laughs> brainstorm room? <laughs> never.
<laughs> Never. I mean, it's funny because the conversations that I've had with employees who are inside and or not currently, but were inside the building um, and hearing them describe various places and scenes and things like that. It's kind of, it, it's a weird thing because I had this visual in my mind, which we tried to, Taylor and Victoria and I tried to recreate in the podcast and then to see it uh, played out in the dropout Hulu series is, is just, it's the most surreal thing. Yeah, Rebecca did get into the offices, but only through the set. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh yeah I, I mean I, I was wasn't there off. that you know there was all a lot of COVID restrictions so I was watching through a feed a lot of the times but she described to me just the how surreal it was to go on the set and, and you know because we've built this enormous office space we took over like a, a like floor of a couple floors of a building so it, walking on the set really did feel like you were in Theranos so <laughs> I'm sure it was a very strange feeling. Tell me about Amanda coming on to play her. Kate drops out. Kate would have been great. Amanda is sublime. Sublime, but yeah. Did the act, I'm just curious, because of her accent and everything, was it like, you know, when Milosh Foreman was casting Andy Kaufman, you know, when Nick Cage and Ed Norton are sending in their audition? We're actresses sending in auditions to play Elizabeth Holmes. I'm just curious. No, I mean, not really. I feel, you know, I think like it was always a question for me how much we wanted to cast somebody who like looked like her, you know, guys, I, I feel like that in some of these true stories that can be really limiting to try to find, you know, try to like exactly match the look of real people. Um, and in this case, I, I think she was the only, I mean, people know sort of what Sunny Belwani looks like, but I think, you know, like we were allowed to really just try to cast more to the spirit of the real person as opposed to like what they actually look like. But then Amanda came along and it was like, oh, well, you look, <laughs> you look, so, she looks so much like her. And um, I, I sat down for the first rehearsal and and she opened her mouth and did that voice and so she had kind of like done the work before the first rehearsal and we just got so lucky I mean I I I remember hearing her do the voice for the first time and just like every everything in my body relaxed because I was like okay I know we have the show you know I I knew that she understood the tone I was going for that she was going to like approach it from a really real place as opposed to any kind of caricature or you know uh and so I I really I I felt like I felt like she uses the voice I feel like she uses the voice in the series in a really wonderful way where you know sometimes in certain contexts it really comes out and other times it it goes away and so it it, it feels like her the voice in the series feels like a part of the storytelling like a part of the emotional storytelling like you can kind of tell where her head is based on like what her voice <laughs> sounds like which I thought Amanda did you know so incredibly well and she's like one of those rare actresses that can be funny and dramatic at the same time and I have to say somebody you know I've been working in comedy for eight years before this so just it's really rare to find somebody who's genuinely funny and also can kind of keep the emotional truth of the scene going. Why did Elizabeth change her accent was it was it that that's the fascinating thing 
She yeah, had a I few mean, drinks to... and everyone realized at the company party. <laughs> I tried to explore that in the series. And, you know, I, I will say like that it was definitely in the series. It's a character. It's not the real Elizabeth Holmes. And there is some kind of there's some people that uh claim that her voice didn't change and so you know I think that is like a, a point of contention but in the series I tried to I the third episode of the series is kind of all about that transformation and I wanted to make sure that it that people understood the emotional context of it and not just you know I think she, she had become a little bit of a a joke for some people you know the sort of turtleneck in the voice and it was important to me to kind of make sure that the I don't know that the full picture was there that <laughs> we were seeing like what pressures she was under from the board at that time and and you know what was going on in her personal life and all of that do both of you think she has a second chance in this world in, in the tech world I have no idea I really have no idea and, and I feel like as, as much as I've loved working on this project, I think after this is over, probably I'm not going to spend much time thinking about Elizabeth Holmes after, Why not? <laughs> after this. I don't know. No, I just, you know, like she's, I've spent, you know, years thinking about her. So I think I'm going to try to think about other things. <laughs> what, what do you think, Rebecca, especially in light of um, the, the guilty on four of 11 charges one of the ones that she's not even guilty of is defrauding patients. Yeah, I mean, I think if her track record and the track records of many other founders who have by and large not been convicted of fraud, in fact, very few have actually faced the kind of criminal charges that she has, uh, I would not put it past her to set out to try to do something again in the future that relates to building a company. I know that was, it was something that a lot of sources told me was on her mind before the trial. Um, and given the breadth of what I know about her and her desires, I believe she will set out to do something again in the future. Liz, before we go, I, I'm not going to let you off the hook, especially in the streaming world. Is there a new girl reboot? <laughs> I thought you were going to hit me with like a real hardball question. <laughs> Will Elizabeth Holmes open a bakery in Brattleboro, Vermont? Is that her future? Listen, if she does that, then maybe I will do another show about her. About her. <laughs> she didn't um, realize people were allergic to gluten. Joking, but no, seriously, I, I don't. I mean, I have not heard any of, you know, there, there's no, there's no, there are no plans currently for a new girl reboot. And I personally, as much as you know, the reboots are really fun. I, I personally kind of think, you know, my, we all should try some doing some new things <laughs> before we, can, and not enough time has passed. I mean, I, I, I don't think you know, my show about 20 somethings who live in a loft together. I'm not sure what it would be if it were 40 somethings in a loft together. It's definitely the vibe changes. <laughs> what, what is next for you? Um, I'm doing a, a limited series for FX. That's also based on a podcast. It's called, the podcast is called dying for sex. And it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a woman who, 
was diagnosed with metastatic cancer, incurable cancer, and she leaves her husband um, uh, many years and kind of goes out and explores herself sexually right before she dies. So it's um, it's actually a comedy, <laughs> but <laughs> um, no, it's it's been really it's been really different than there than working on uh, the dropout, which is definitely. I, I was in, I needed, I needed to like do something completely different. So, um, yeah. I, I can't thank you both enough. Thank you so much, uh, for joining thank you. us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the crew call podcast on deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.